Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur with your host, Steve Kidd, third-generation minister and 30-year business coach. Listen in as amazing, world-changing authors, speakers, and coaches share their struggles and victories and hear from best-selling authors' insight into how you, too, can live your life as a thriving entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur. Thanks for being with me here today as we talk about experiences that make the difference. What are the things that you've experienced in life? What are the experiences that you can give other people? What are the things that experience has shown you that can help other people? Experiences make such a difference when we share who we are, when we know who we are, when we make experiences for other people when we share the experiences that we've had or when we help people see the experiences that they can have. You're seeing a theme here? Experience make the difference. Um, and it's really cool to be able to really tap into people. There's an old concept. I'm going to do a little bit of sales training here for just a second. There's an old sales concept that is called feel, felt, found. I understand how you feel. I've felt that way myself. And this is what I found. It's a great way to under, overcome the objection when somebody says, you know, I, I have this and it's an emotional based kind of a feeling that they're having about saying yes. We can come back to them and say, I understand totally how that feels because I felt that same way myself. But now this is what I found since I made this choice. See, it's experiences that make the difference. And when we are in tune with our own experiences, absolutely, but also help people see the experiences that they can have, it really can make a huge difference. And that allows us the ability to live as a thriving entrepreneur in everything that we do so that we can have our sales convert. We can create cool experiences for the people that are our clients and we can have those great conversations with the people in the world that we're meant to serve because it's our experiences that make the difference and help and lead us to being a thriving entrepreneur. I'm so looking forward to bringing you the three guests that we have for you today so that you can see experiences that make the difference here on Thriving Entrepreneur. With that said, let's jump right in to our very first guest. Join me in welcoming Solomon Timothy. Hey, Solomon, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. Absolutely. So start off first, tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Yeah, so my name is Solomon Timothy. I grew up in Chicago. Uh, and again, I'm a, a very, very entrepreneur. I, I, that's my life ever since I graduated college. So um, for me, it's it's kind of what happened as a result of uh, how I guess I, was, I grew up. Uh, all my uh, family had business at some point in their life. So it was kind of like the natural path for me. <laughs> you know, uh, it's the, it's a, it's an atypical, uh, I guess, you know, sort of an entrepreneurial upbringing. I understand that completely. Um, what kind of things do you do in this world these days? What's, what's really fun for you to do in the business world? Yeah. So 
I grew up as kind of like a creative person that was more in graphic design. And, you know, I think that's like an easy field for kids to get into because you can, you know, see what you're doing, you know, color changes in word onwards. And so I'd learned all the Photoshop applications uh, and all the Adobe suites inside out that naturally took me to a marketing field. And I graduated, you know, college with marketing and all of that. But today, because of that background, where we are is in lead generation for people, which is literally the calls I get off of, you know, and go on to the next and so on. And how do we help them acquire customers? That's what marketing is today. It's not branding, not necessarily what your logo is or your font is, is how many leads are you bringing in into your business and how many of those leads are actually converting into customers? That's who I need to respond to. Uh, the VP of sales, the VP of marketing, the CEO, you name it. And that really is kind of the core of our business, isn't it? We need to have those qualified leads that are uh, coming in consistently and then are actually generating um, you know, actual sales, you know, I mean, it doesn't do us a whole lot of good to spend all day talking to leads of people who would never consider our product, can't afford it, any of those kind of things. So what kind of stuff do you find uh, differentiates between getting a good lead and just getting somebody warm to talk to? Yeah, no, um, absolutely, Steve. This is, this is a, that, that hits the spot that, that we kind of call it our, our sweet spot. I believe that you turn left, you turn right. There's somebody that says, I can do lead generation for you. I can do uh, customer acquisition or marketing or you name it. And they probably can. Well, what companies really need is a system rather than a service provider. <laughs> Does that make sense? It's a system. So what that means is when I walk away, they're still going to generate. Um, they're still going to generate qualified leads. They're still going to generate uh, a systematic way of getting appointments in the door. And that's where I think we shine in rather than saying we can help you with Facebook ads or Google ads or something like that. What most entrepreneurs need is a system, but they're looking for a service provider to fill in the gap. But the service provider has to be thinking about entrepreneurial and all the ways that a business can scale rather than let me just push some buttons and get your ad on Google. Does that make sense? <laughs> I want to make sure this is. Oh, clear. yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are a ton of people out there that, quote unquote, can do ads and bring you leads. But it's about getting the right people um, that are actually going to be, you know, effective for you and not just take up your time. Yeah. So so ideally to do that. We have to define what you need as a, a qualified meeting because what you need might, might, might not be what somebody else needs. And what we would do is we go reverse engineer how many leads do you need this week, this month, or how many appointments rather, and figure out where do we need to advertise and what do we need to say and who do we target to accomplish that goal and how do we do it? It can run on its own to some degree without you having to worry about it other than you know putting in your credit card to whatever the ad engine might be. You don't have to be involved in that process. We'll find the lead, we'll qualify the lead, we have them fill out a form so that they, they are self-qualifying it and they'll even book an appointment on your meeting and confirm the appointment so that you only have to run the meetings. Isn't that nice? <laughs> I absolutely love that. Um, so the right questions, 
I think is what I what I'm hearing you say. What are some of the right kind of questions that people often miss uh, to be able to qualify the person? It's um, so what we talk right. What we try to teach uh, and coach our customers to do is how do you get the wrong people out more so than what do we ask to get the right people in? Did you catch that? I did. It's, it's the opposite of what everybody else is trying to do. And that's what oftentimes people don't do. Everybody's like, we can do X, Y, Z for you. Come on in. Right. And then you come to find out they're not the decision maker. They are not in position to buy the thing. They didn't have the budget to do it. So it's how do we do the other way around? How do we repel the people that do not have the budget or not the right authority or doesn't have the, the right title or the decision-making power to not go much farther than maybe looking at your landing page? So we ask them the questions, hoping that they will disqualify themselves. Am, am I hearing you correctly? Yeah, so it, it'll be something probably like attention business owner that are doing three to $5 million in sales are looking for X, Y, Z. So if you're not a, a business owner, you don't have three to 5 million. Do you see what I'm saying? Now they're like, ah, I'm not that guy. I'm not going to go there. I'm a startup company. I don't have any of this. Uh, attention SaaS founder. If you're trying to scale your demo rates for your product, that's between 2000 and 3000 monthly recurring revenue or whatever it is. Pay attention. Do you see how that ad calls out only specific people and the rest of them don't even care because they're like, I don't know what a SaaS is. I'm not SaaS. Yes, absolutely. And if they don't know what a SaaS is, or if the listeners right now don't know what a SaaS is, then obviously in that particular case, you're not the person we need to be talking to. Exactly. I don't need people's information because we can't take that to the bank. What I need is actual qualified, like you said, appointments with the right kind of people. Sometimes you want to talk to the IT people, maybe, right? To make sure your systems are compatible for the company. Sometimes you want to talk to the CEO directly and find out if they have the budget for the thing that you do. Um, so for instance, I talked to a, a sales trainer today and he sells a very specific sales trainer to one leadership team, a very, very high leadership team, and a company like SAP, there's only 400 of these people, right? And then he sells another product to junior salespeople they hired that are looking to do outbound, you know, marketing, like they don't know how to do outbound calling, something like that. So if we did some generic marketing campaign, how do we attract 400 of these top leaders? And number two, how do we attract the junior salesperson, not the senior, the people that are skeptical or worried or like afraid to make a call, how do we get those people into this person's funnel? That's where we sit in. That's like a real life example. Mm, I absolutely love that. So um, talk about disqualifying the people who wouldn't be good at working for, with you. Um, what kind of level of people do you not like to work with? You like how I asked that question? <laughs> Yeah. So for us, it's more about um, who's got a system and who doesn't have a system, who's happy with their system, who's unhappy with the system. Does that make sense? Um, who has a system to attract people uh, that already are aware of your product, like not your product, but does kind of solution. Your company is just one of the vendors that offer that. 
versus the people that are even unaware of such a solution. So like I'll use AI because AI is super hot, right? Like, so there may be something that you do using AI uh, that you organize people's images in their servers or something like that, right? Like it's some super unique AI, you know, um, application. However, people know that they need to organize it, but they don't, they might even know AI can do it, but they don't even know you exist as one of the providers. And there's probably people that know that they need to organize it, but never even thought that AI could do it for them. So there's people that are solution aware and there's people that are uh, not even solution aware, but they're problem aware. So we have to hit these people differently and we have to figure out whose system is capable of doing what and who's unhappy with that, right? Who's unhappy with their uh, demand generation uh, efforts. And if they're unhappy, then they'll probably look at working with somebody like us. It doesn't have to be us to figure out where in their funnel they're losing out on and where is their competition getting ahead. So um, let's talk just a little bit more about the ideal client and knowing it. If a person doesn't really know who they should be going after, which is maybe possibly a big reason why they're not getting the right leads, do you start off helping them really identify who that is? Yeah, 100%. And I think there's a lot more companies out there that do not know. It's not that they don't know who to, who to work with. They don't know their 80-20. Let's put it that way meaning they don't know that what's that 20% of customers that they should work with that can really help them 10X their business. And oftentimes the data that you have about your past customers or something like that aren't necessarily clear because you never focused on maybe one particular client. So you have 25% of this client, 25% of that client. So they're all equally good to pursue, but they don't really realize that like one of those customers, if they really hone in on their messaging or their marketing, they could actually make you more money than all of these other put together. That is absolutely perfect. So for the person who is listening and would like to work with you, how would they get in contact with you? Yeah. So I have a website called timothy.com. My name is spelled a little differently. So it's Timothy with an H T H I M O T H Y. They go to that page. They actually could learn more about kind of what we do. Um, fill out the form, but Ideally, like I said, I'm in the business of giving as much information as I possibly can. So they don't even have to work with me. Does that make sense? They could fix their own problem. But should they want to work with me, um, that would be an opportunity for them to figure out more about what we do. But long story short, my website is by far the best resource I can give. Perfect. I love that. Give us that URL again. Timothy, T-H-I-M-O-T-H-Y.com. Perfect. Well, before I let you go, give us some words of encouragement about the fact that no matter how impossible it may have felt to find mm-hmm. the right people that you absolutely can do it. hundred uh, percent. So I think if you go to Facebook and you put $10,000 in ads and you think you exhausted your audience, you could put $10,000 a day and not exhaust your audience. That's how big the market is. Even for very specific, high cost, you know, high niche products, there's way more people out there that need you, but they don't know you exist. They wish they knew that you existed, but somebody else who's better at marketing is getting in front of them faster, quicker, and you're not. But that's how big the market is. People often underestimate how big their audience is. I love that. Well, 
Thank you so much for spending some time with us here on the show today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Steve. It's been a wonderful opportunity. Do you see how that works? Leads that convert into sales. It's about taking the experiences that we've had, sharing those experiences with other people and turning somebody from interested or maybe not even knowing who you are into a client, a customer, somebody that you can serve and that you can help. And in that, their life is better and so is yours. And that way we're all living as a thriving entrepreneur. Let's take our first commercial break. Hi, my name is Steve Kidd. I am a third generation minister, an international best-selling author of multiple books, and I help people write, publish, and market their books to bestseller. In fact, there are literally thousands of people that have used the system that I created to be able to write, publish, and market their books, and now they're best-selling authors, and you're next. I just wanted to come on for a minute, say hi to you, tell you a little bit about me, introduce myself, and tell you I know the world is waiting on your message, and I would be so honored to be part of sharing your message with the world. Go to AskStevekid.com and schedule a time to talk today. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today as we talk about experiences that make the difference. We were talking about leads that convert into sales in the first segment, and now we want to move on to talking about creating experiences in the lives of other people so that they can thrive in all that they're doing. With that said, let's jump in to our next guest. Join me in welcoming Mike Brickick. Hey, Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm happy to chat. Yeah, absolutely. To start us off, tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Yeah, so I'm an entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur for 27 years. I discovered, uh, thankfully, very early on that I don't, uh, I work well with others, maybe not so much for others. And um, yeah, it's kind of amazing. I've been on this 27-year journey of entrepreneurship. And my my primary focus these days is a company called Wayfinders. And um, my focus is is um, is creating experiences that connect people on a deep level. And primarily, I do this through big, crazy adventures in some of the most remote places on earth. But I also do that locally. Uh, for instance, tonight, we have a community event, we're going out for dinner, and then a yoga class here in Toronto. And uh, I just love connecting people and making meaningful connections. I have three kids, two uh, 13-year-old twins and a 15-year-old and a wife and a golden doodle. And um, my favorite thing, I think, is uh, is to just be outdoors in any way, shape, or form, and ideally somewhere in the wilderness. You've led a lot of really amazing tours to some of the coolest uh, that can almost be an ironic statement. Some of the most interesting, <laughs> um, as well as some of the most difficult to be in places. What's it like when you're in some place that's super cold or very, very hot um, and taking your group? And what's some kind of things we can learn? 
Well, I don't have to. <clears throat> I don't have to think too far back because I just got back a few weeks ago from leading an, an event in far western Mongolia. Uh, Mongolia is the most sparsely populated country on earth, and Western Mongolia is the most sparsely populated region of of this sparsely populated country. And uh, we actually we accompanied a uh, local nomad family. They're all Kazakhs in that region. We accompanied them on their fall migration, and so every every fall they 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 pack up and they take their giant herd. They have about a thousand animals, and they move to their winter grounds over a period of days. Uh, and we accompanied them, and the first three days that we spent up in their up in their fall camp, where we were up in the highlands, kind of way up in the mountains, that was that was really cold. It was it was uh, you know I'm I'm talking Celsius here in Canada, but minus ten often at night, so. I think that's probably around 15 Fahrenheit, which is pretty cold to sleep outdoors. Uh, mind you, we were in tents. And, um, you know, the I take people to places like this and I expose them to these challenging experiences because uh, for two reasons. One, when people are kind of exposed to those types of situations and they, they kind of get broken down a little bit. And so the first, you know, two or three nights until we were all kind of settled in, everybody was sleep deprived. Um, you know, running on low energy, running on low sleep, that tends to kind of open people up. And, you know, it's not just an adventure I take people on. It's a, it's ideally a transformational journey. And I do, you know, whole facilitated journey. And it's really about helping people become more self-aware about, you know, how they get in their own way, about the patterns that they've lived life with. And so those types of challenging experiences tend to kind of crack, crack people open. And the other aspect of it is that when people are exposed to these challenging situations and they're, you know, they're pushing each other, they're supporting each other, motivating each other, it kind of expands their definition of what's their personal definition of what's possible. And so, you know, when somebody climbs up a mountain and it's the first time, you know, they've climbed a, a significant mountain, maybe ever or in 10 years or whatever, it sort of expands the definition of what they think is possible and, and opens up more opportunities for them. So you know, I purposely choose difficult situations to um, for for those reasons. I love that so much. So, I mean, a lot of times here in quote unquote civilized society, we've gotten really, really soft. And the concept of climbing a mountain like that or things like that can be really difficult. How do you... Um, I guess not so much find the people, but how do you help them overcome the fear that they can do it and help them actually get through it? Yeah, yeah, great question. You know, I'll I'll um I'm I'm going through that right now, actually. I have uh I have about 25 people that are coming with me in late February to Ecuador. And we are going to be we're gonna be attempting a summit of Mount Cotopaxi, which is one of the highest active volcanoes in the world. It's almost 20,000 feet. It's a pretty serious endeavor. Um, some of the people who are signed up are just super excited, super jazzed, and, you know, they're pretty outdoorsy. N nobody really in this group has ever climbed a mountain that high, but a lot of them are quite athletic. And then there's a few people who are a little bit panicking and a little bit freaking out and thinking, oh, my God, what have I, what have I, what have I done here? And um, you know, I I I 
I know most of the people who are coming. There's a lot of returning people. There's a lot of, you know, people that I've already known. So, and I did a fair bit of vetting. So, you know, I'm not taking any couch potatoes there, but we have a, a whole training program. We have, we have a breathwork instructor who's going to be leading us through an amazing program uh, of, of breathwork that actually prepares you for high altitude. So we're doing a lot of prep for, for something like that. And then, you know, once we're actually there, um, it's really just about getting people into the right mental state and preparing them for what they're going to be encountering so that they, you know, so that it's no surprise and, you know, letting them know, hey, we're going to be, you know, we're going to, we're, we're driving up to this mountain refuge that's about halfway up the mountain, but then the next day we're getting up at 1230 in the morning and we're starting our, our summit attempt there and just preparing people mentally for what that's going, what that's going to be like so that, they're not encountering surprises that everything's kind of expected. And we can say, you know, a couple hours into it, it's, we're going to, we're going to be above 16,000 feet and the air is going to get thin and it's going to be hard to take a step and, and just, you know, letting people know what they can expect, but also just like really encouraging everybody to look after each other. So when they see somebody who's, who's struggling, you know, if you've got lots of gas in the tank, just say, Hey, can I take something out of your pack or can I take your pack or, or something like that, but also just offering some encouraging words and then just encouraging people to confront that. Really, the biggest thing is confronting that inner self-talk because, you know, we all experience that on a daily basis, but that self-talk becomes, you know, quite loud when you're in, in an environment like that, telling you, oh, you got to give up, you can't do it. And just giving them some training on how they can engage in a dialogue with that. And really, you know, that self-talk is just, it's trying to keep you safe. And whether it's climbing a mountain or whether it's, you know, that self-talk telling you to get out of a relationship because you have a subconscious fear of getting intimate or whatever. It's about respecting that voice and listening to it and saying, hey, thanks. I know you're just trying to keep me safe, but I got this. I'm going to push through. And, um, you know, sometimes that can be incredibly, incredibly powerful. So, you know, a lot of a lot of physical preparation, but also a lot of mental preparation for experiences like that. I remember back, um, oh gosh, it must have been before I was in eighth grade, so a long, long time ago, um, I went on a backpacking excursion, um, and I was pretty much a city kid at the time, so I wasn't really ready for it, but we, you know, we backpacked all day and then made camp, uh, you know, every evening down in the Appalachian Mountains in Kentucky on what's called the Chateau Trace Trails. Um, nothing like what you're describing comparatively, but in retrospect, being a child, you know, it was quite a bit for me. <laughs> for sure, um, for sure. I remember that transition phase from the, uh, you know, I know I can not possibly do this, I'm going to die, to I think I can, to, you know, maybe I can make it, to, you know, then you finally do get through it in that real sense. It's uh, it's a cool transition for people. Um, do you ever have anybody that doesn't make it through or all of your people um, athletic enough that they're okay with it? Yeah, yeah, it happens. It happens uh, all the time. We, um, I, I think back to November of 2022, and I led a group to uh, Morocco. And about halfway through the trip, we went to Mount Tubkal, which is the highest peak in North Africa. I think it's about uh, 14,000 feet or something like that. And it was the same kind of thing. Like we got up really early. I think it was about 3 a.m. or 3.30 a.m. And um, in the end, out of, there was 18 of us, I think. And in the end, 15 people made it to the top. One one woman was, uh, she had gotten ill, food poisoning or something like that. So she didn't even bother. And that was just a wise decision. Another Another guy 
uh, encountered gastric distress partway up the mountain and he had to turn around. But then two other people ended up going going up and then they 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 turned around and and went back and they, they knew they couldn't go up. And it ended up actually being um, a profound learning for them as well. And uh, the one woman she you know she wrote this whole blog post about it about how, she recognized that her life was, you know, so much of her life was just about constantly pushing through and pushing and pushing and pushing. And, and she didn't need to always just be grinding it out and hustling and pushing. And she felt at that time it was the right decision to turn back. And then when everybody started coming down to the mountain, she took great joy in just welcoming people back to the, the mountain hut and serving everybody soup. And for her, it felt like that was just a big win to be able to like counter her, her, her typical pattern and just come at it from a place of service and, and a place of humility. And um, so there's, you know, if we're open to it, there's always there's always learnings. And then there are also, you know, a hand, handful of people who really struggled and made it to that summit. And I know I'm still in contact with a bunch of them. You know, one of them, he just said, he said it was like just this crazy dialogue with his inner critic, The you know, the last hour or so up that mountain to the summit. And he's, he actually started yelling and, and basically just said, shut the F up uh, at his inner critic. And it was kind of this inner critic that had you know been there his whole life. And he said, just shut up and I'm going to do this. And he did it. And he said that's carried with him you know, to this day, just that ability to be, to be able to not listen to that and to just push through and, and, and not beat himself up. And so there's, there's a lot of learnings you can have when you put yourself in situations like that. Absolutely. Let's um let's transition a little bit to something I know you're really great at, but maybe a little bit more something everybody's used to. And let's just talk about the concept of networking, meaning, you know, meeting people and creating new relationships and that kind of thing. Um, can you kind of build a bridge for us, you know, explain to us just how terrifying that, you know, just going to a coffee shop somewhere and meeting people and how important that networking is you know, even if they're not way up on a mountain, almost out of air. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I get there's, there's, um, you know, connection. I, 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 connection is the primary focus of, of my work and, and of my life. And I look at it in, in, you know, many different facets, including connection to myself, including connection to the natural world, but specifically in terms of connection with other people, it's just, it's such a huge part of, um, just my focus and my my desires and, and dreams and all that. And, and I just love spending time with other people. Um, and so I'm very intentional about it. And I'll touch on a few topics. Uh, one is curiosity. And I found, you know, I'm I'm intensely and extremely curious about other people. And I'm just about learning, learning what makes them tick, learning what keeps them up at night, learning what they're dreaming about. And just, you know, from everybody, from the taxi driver to somebody I might meet in Mongolia to whatever. It's just, I find it really fascinating. And so if you can bring that level of curiosity to your interactions with people and, you know, show genuine interest in people and also just, you know, to, to really pay attention to them and to ask questions. And you, you, when you give people the gift of being seen and heard, it just, it it feels incredibly good. And I'm talking about like full presence, full listening, just like really seeing and hearing somebody that's an incredible gift. And so if you can bring that to your interactions with other people um, and, you know, it's not always easy to muster it up every single time, but just being more intentional about that, you tend to get much richer, um, richer conversations, richer relationships. 
and and just more richness in return. So that's one good principle to keep in mind. Um, and then in terms of you know building up my network, uh, there's a you know I belong to a few entrepreneur communities that other people have started, um, and I you know and and I attend lots of events and and I meet people and I tend to prefer uh, communities where you know it's not the focus isn't on transactional relationships but it's on you know deep meaningful relationships. Uh, the other is of course that I host a lot of uh, of my own events from you know events here in Toronto to international ones in Mongolia and whatnot. And my focus is always on creating an environment for those those deep connections. And a lot of that is just is creating an environment for um, you know what I what I might call psychological safety, where people feel like they can just show up and they can be themselves and they can be fully authentic, warts and all, and that people will still accept them. And so I won't get into the specifics of how I do that, but when you do that for people and they can show up to a place and just relax and be themselves and not have to put on their mask and not have to put on the armor, it's just so refreshing and, and um, so vital for people. And um, so, yeah, and then, and then the other part of it is just, I'm very intentional about whom I connect with and how often. And, you know, I've learned that relationships require nurturing. You can't just take them for granted. You have to, uh, and it doesn't have to be a ton of work. Sometimes it could just be, you know, sending, you know, send one text message a day to 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 somebody in your network and say, "Hey, I'm thinking of you. Hope you're doing well." That's all it has to be, and it's amazing how, you know, what impact that can have on another person, particularly if they're having a crappy day or or whatever. And so the other part of the intentionality is the execution. I just I have a database of all the people that I want to stay connected with. When we last connected. How we last connected? Was it a call? Was it a text message? Was it a phone call? Was it lunch? You know, um, and so, and you know, I've now outsourced that to my assistant to reach out to people and say, hey, you know, uh, I'd like to connect. But um, it, it, you know, you can start small. Just uh, invite, you know, invite a few people over for a barbecue, and then put some intention behind the meal. You know, you could have a few questions during dinner that you ask that you ask people to. Um, to just take the conversation a little bit deeper. And, you know, if you go online and Google conversation cards, there's like tons of tons of conversation cards you can order and they give you lots of great question starters and stuff like that. And, you know, I find rather than just bringing people together and talking about weather or sports or whatever, when you take conversation a level deeper, people generally embrace that and they love, you know, and they learn about each other and they tend to connect more deeply when they're learning, you know, more intimate details of each other's lives. So that's a little bit of a glimpse into, you know, my life and how I approach connection. I love that so much. So I know that you sell out the adventure every year. Um, what other kind of work do you do for people throughout the year? What are the, some of the kind of things they could plug in with you? Yeah, so this year, uh, this year, I, I officially launched um, like a year long community membership model. And, uh, you know, going back a few years, I was I was hosting these events, and still am, of course, all over the world. And, you know, people would forge these really deep connections, but then the event was over. And, you know, people would kind of scatter. I have a lot of people here in Toronto, but also people all over North America. And sometimes I would host like, you know, a reunion dinner or a reunion Zoom call or something like that. But I was it was, there was nothing consistent about it. And so I wanted to create um, sort of an enduring community. And so we launched that that uh, earlier this year. We have all kinds of events. Tonight, I'm actually, um, we have a dinner and a yoga class. There's about 25 people from the community coming. 
a couple of days ago, we had our, our monthly connection call, which was just really, uh, really wonderful conversations there. We have monthly workshops and, um, and next year we're going to be having these quarterly summits, half day learning opportunities with some amazing guest speakers and stuff like that. So, and it's all, you know, it's all, it's all focused on entrepreneurs. Um, so that's, that's one way to get involved and you don't have to be in Toronto. There's a lot of in-person events in Toronto, but there's also lots of other opportunities uh, to meet people. Um, and then in January, I'm, I'm launching a new uh, community-based business coaching program called the Entrepreneur's Compass. And it's based on, you know, everything I've learned over my 27 years of how to do business the right way. And in a way that you run a business that feels aligned with who you are, it's easy to run, it's appealing to the right people, and it's profitable. And uh, so I'm excited about that. And it's going to be community-based. People will be in small cohorts and opportunities to connect with others. So lots of fun stuff happening. I love that. And give us that URL one more time, please. Yeah, so the Wayfinders URL is way-finders.com, W-A-Y-F-I-N-D-E-R-S.com. That's amazing. Well, before I let you go, please do me a favor. Kind of just give us some words of encouragement um, to help us step out of our comfort zone and do some things that maybe seem impossible or challenging to us. You know, um, many years ago, I used to, I used to, to run this, um, I called it entrepreneur bootcamp. And it was this, it was, you know, similar to what I'm launching in January as a ongoing series and of, uh, of, of, of meetings and coaching and, and get togethers. And at the end of each class, I would leave, I would leave, um, I would leave them with a challenge um, to do before the next class. And they were usually pretty, pretty minor challenges, but I, I built, you know, I built up over time. And the idea was, was just getting people comfortable with the uncomfortable. And because it's so easy to just stay inside our comfort zone and stay in our place of safety. And we convince ourselves, no, I can't do that. Or no, I can't do that. That's too scary. And so I wanted to help people develop their muscle of, of just, you know, living with discomfort and overcoming it. And so uh, I gave them challenges like, you know, just stare at a stranger uh, on the subway or on the street or whatever for four seconds in the eyes. And, you know, you, you think, oh my God, that's that's terrifying. I can't look at somebody. They're going to think I'm a weirdo. And then I, I encourage them, just do it anyways. You know, just you just got to do it once. And then they come back and they'd say, uh, well, it was kind of terrifying, but then I didn't. It was it was such a you know minor deal. It was no big deal. Uh, and then a few people would say, oh, you know, these people smiled at me and we just had such a wonderful connection. Um, and then, you know, some of the other challenges I gave them, that we're sort of ramping up was just go find a sidewalk somewhere, a busy sidewalk, and just go lie down on the sidewalk for one minute. And uh, which is, you know, a really weird thing to do. And people think, oh, my God, people are going to think I'm such a weirdo. And I tell them, well, that's the point. You know, that's you're, you're, you're afraid of being judged a weirdo. But then they go do it and they lie down and they get up and the world keeps turning and they're fine. And so it's, you know, realizing, help, helping them realize that these stories that they tell themselves and these, you know, about what's going to happen and all the things they're afraid of generally don't come to pass. And then as you develop that muscle, you start to realize that you're capable of so much more than than you think you can. So just, you know, just do a daily little fear challenge, something tiny that feels a little bit scary, but that you can actually do. And then you can ramp it up, you know, the, the next day or the next week or something like that. I love that so much. Mike, thanks so much for spending some time with us here on the show today. 
It was my pleasure. Thanks for connecting. I don't know about you, but some of those experiences sounded like a lot of fun experiences that I would love to have in my own life as well. And things that you can see how being able to take people on experiences can help them bond together, can help them learn new things, and can be a really great memory as well. Experiences that make the difference is what life is all about and is how we can all live as a thriving entrepreneur. We'll be right back. Hi, my name is Steve Kidd. I am a third generation minister, an international best-selling author of multiple books, and I help people write, publish, and market their books to bestseller. In fact, there are literally thousands of people that have used the system that I created to be able to write, publish, and market their books, and now they're best-selling authors, and you're next. I just wanted to come on for a minute, say hi to you, tell you a little bit about me, introduce myself, and tell you I know the world is waiting on your message, and I would be so honored to be part of sharing your message with the world. Go to AskStevekid.com and schedule a time to talk today. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today as we talk about experiences that make the difference, about all those experiences that we've had that we can share with others, experiences that we can help others have, and then the stories that come out of both us sharing our experiences and us allowing others to be able to share their experiences with us. What a great way to do it. And I think it's only apropos that we end this Um, with the last segment here being about conversations, about sharing our experiences that make the difference. Let's listen to our third guest. Join me in welcoming Kate Walker. Hey, Kate, how are you doing today? Hi, Steve. I'm great. Good to be here with you. So glad to have you here with us. First, tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Wow. A little bit about me. I am a mom, which is a very important role for me. I'm a parent. I'm a businesswoman. I'm a community member. I'm trying to add value in the world by way of a book I just released, um, helping empower women and making courageous decisions and getting through those and designing the life in a way that makes them feel great. Tell us a little bit more about your book. What's the name of it and what's it uh, What's it about? Thank you for asking. The book is called A Candid Conversation. And I titled it A Candid Conversation because it's a bit of a memoir about me, about my life experiences. I started writing the book about a relationship that I was in and just to you know, give away the plot, uh, that relationship is no longer going. But in writing the book, I had to go back in time to my youth to explore some reasons for decisions I made in my older years. The book also talks about my career, which I've had a really enjoyable career in corporate and really going up the corporate ladder talking about that. And then the book also talks about uh, more current things happening in my life, such as leaving corporate and going into opening my own business, which I've I've been doing since uh, 2021. I left my corporate job during the pandemic. 
So full title of the book is A Candid Conversation, Lessons in Life, Love, and Leadership. So I cover a lot of different territory. And as mentioned just a bit ago, really hoping to be in service to women who may be going through similar experiences. And by the way, men can certainly read the book too. I've, I've had some men read it and give feedback and really wanting to let people know you don't have to walk alone on the journey. I can go with you. I can share my stories and my trials and triumphs and tragedies and let you know how I got through it and persevered and how you might be able to use some of the tools and mindset hacks that I used um, in service to your own journey. All right. So a person has to go to Amazon and get the book in order to read all yes, of it. Yes. Yes. The book launched on Amazon. It is still there, um, alive and well. And you can find it on Barnes & Noble website. The book is actually going out to different retailers. So I would say shop your favorite bookstore, whether it be local, whether it be a national chain, and ask for the book. Or again, go online and shop for it. It should be everywhere. It is available. And um, I'm so proud of the responses I'm getting in the book. I mean, it's one thing to write a book. You don't, it's hard to think about it actually going out into the world. And now the book is out in the world. And I'm just so proud and humbled by the feedback I'm receiving so far. So I hope your readers will check it out and, and um, yeah, and, and see if any of the lessons resonate with them. Absolutely. So, um, and I know this is an unfair question, but for you right now today, what is your very favorite part of the book? Ooh, that's a good question, Steve. My very favorite part of the book, I, I would have to say it's the third section, which talks about leadership. And when I talk about leadership, I talk about that meaning a couple of different things. I mean it as far as how we lead ourselves, personal self-leadership. And I also mean it in leadership as far as business leadership and how I left my job and the, the mindset work that that took and the personal work, work that that took and auditing my values. So I would say part three, I'm most proud of, and that resonates the most because it really speaks to what I've designed today and what's happening for me today and what could be happening for others today, as far as, especially if they want to be entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, Having businesses, I mean, these are things that we as business people, entrepreneurs should be supporting each other, helping each other, sharing our how we how we achieve things. So it, it is a book uh, in support of that community, this community as well. Mm, I love that so much. Well, so let's uh, let's teach just a little bit here while I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Um, what is something that a, a lady who's going through a transition, especially one of those ones that you didn't expect, you oh, know, yeah. some of them you get to plan for, but then others mm. are just kind of thrown on you. What are some things you can do to, uh, you know, live gracefully, gracefully through it and and show up successfully, even in the face of total chaos mm. that got thrown at you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I talk about some of those examples in the book. I share my own examples. One tool I teach about in the book is something called a values audit. And this is something I learned in a corporate job where we were getting trained on uh, a philosophy called the leadership challenge. It's a book and I give credit to that book in my book. And I learned about the values audit by way of the leadership challenge. And the essence of the leadership challenge values audit, and I, I give a list of the values in the book, is really sitting down to look at, let's call it 80 different values to see which five to eight really resonate with you most closely. 
And I know for me, I've done this values audit a couple of different times and my values can, some of my values are absolutely always in place and they have been for many, many years. For example, one of my core, core values is integrity. Everything I do, decisions I make, pointing my, you know, pointing my, toward my North Star, integrity will always be something that's very important for me. I actually write about in the book when I was doing this values audit in, in a corporate setting, one of the values cards I pulled as my top 10 was freedom. And I pulled it, I pulled the card freedom and put it in my top 10 for a couple different reasons. Number one, hey, let freedom ring. You know, we should all be, be living free and enjoying freedom. But also freedom for me meant freedom in my decision-making freedom in my, how I allocate my time. It, it was more of a personal freedom in how I wanted to design my day and design my life. And as, as I was in this corporate setting, we were going around the table and everybody was sharing their top five to eight values. I, I, I was not the first to go. Fortunately, I was one of the last to go. And based on what I was hearing, I felt a little embarrassed that I pulled the, that I, I had freedom as one of my cards. I felt like it was corny. I felt like I was out of place. I felt like that was not the right value to show in front of my colleagues. So I put it away. But what I realized years later in doing another values audit was, okay, wait a minute. I felt embarrassed that freedom didn't seem like the right card in corporate, but freedom really is a, a core value for me especially in starting your own business and doing your own thing. I wanted to have that freedom of time and that freedom of decision-making. So doing this values audit really asks you to think deeply about what matters to you and what your North Star consists of. And that then lends you to help design your life or make those decisions that get you going in the right direction. And certainly if you're in the middle of a very, very difficult time, sitting down to do a values audit might not feel like the right thing, or it might feel too, too introspective or reflective, but I would really encourage you to pause and get out that notebook or get out your phone and take some notes to write down those values. Because I found for me, and again, I've done this exercise a few times, it really is a great anchor to point you in a, in, in a, in the direction that feels very aligned for you deep, kind of deep down. That is really great stuff. So um, you know, and there's so little time for us to do it on a radio interview, but if there was one piece of advice that you wish you could go back in time and give yourself, yeah. what would be the piece of it? Well, when would you tell yourself and what would be the advice you'd give you? That answer comes to me so quickly, Steve. It is absolutely money mindset. I did not starting start to get my money mindset in order until fairly recently, if I could go back in time, what, you know, when I was growing up, money felt limited, things felt, it felt like you, it, things, earning money is going to be hard and it's going to be difficult and you really have to pay your dues and you're probably going to start at minimum wage and, and, you know, work your way up and maybe in 20, 30, 40 years, you might be making a decent living. I just had no concept of of, of, of the possibility of money and how you could earn money in different ways and how how you could have how you could have a relationship with money. These things are just these were not things that were on my radar at all. And I would say how I got a better money mindset was by way of listening to podcasts like this, reading books, 
reading different articles where I was reading about people that were having more success with money and more ease with money and more flow with money and trying to find out how are they doing this? And I came to realize a lot of it is a mindset. A lot of it is an attitude. So these are things that have been, this is something I wish I would have known a long time ago. I, I, I just, it's never too late to learn these lessons. Trust me. But that is definitely something I wish I would have learned um, many, many years ago. Mm, I love that a lot. So what kind of people do you like to work with? Who, who would be just your perfect client that's listening right now and could say, it's me, it's me, pick me. <laughs> Thank you. I have a couple of different profiles. Number one, especially in service to the book, I absolutely love connecting with women and women who are in a transition right now, women who are trying to figure something out. Because again, I've been there and trust me, we're, we're always making decisions and we're always having transitions. But having been through, having been through a few of them at this time, I absolutely love to help women in that way and help empower them and, and um, help them. Uh, certainly they make the decisions, but uh, working in support of them and being that cheerleader. Uh, on the other side of the coin, not maybe not the other side of the coin, but then there is my business experience. I have two decades of working as a human resources leader in these giant global corporations. So I've learned a lot. I've been around the block many, many times, and I really grew to love working with leaders and managers and leaders and managers and their teams. There's a certain dynamic with leaders and managers and teams that I absolutely love. And oftentimes there can be a breakdown in teams. And I, based on my experience and working with leaders and managers, I can often see what they can't see. So I like to work with managers and leaders who are looking to be better leaders, better managers, have teams that are really thriving, try to eliminate any dysfunction, make sure processes are in place so that things are going smoothly. So I really love to help crack those codes and bring my experience to those engagements so I can help them get to where they want to go a lot faster with it and with a lot more ease. So with all of that said, I know there's some people that want to be uh, working with you now. How can they work with you? Yes. Find me at katewalker.com. That's my website. You can actually click a button that says work with me one-on-one. -on -one. I only have a couple of those slots available because they are, you know, they take, they take time and um, a great deal of focus, but I do have a few slots for one-on-one. -on -one. You can DM me and let me know what's going on with you and we can figure out, you know, it, maybe I, maybe you want me to come and work with you and your team. So let me know what you have going on and we'll see if we can find a way. But katewalker.com is uh, where all my, a lot of my material lives. You can find me on LinkedIn, katewalker, SPHR. I engage there quite a lot. And then Instagram at the katewalker. So you can get a sense of my personality and my material and my work on those sites. But yeah, if you want to come into my world, just set up an appointment. Well, before I let you go, Kate, please uh, give us just some words of encouragement about living our life so that we're, uh, you know, not maybe having to have to go through some of the life lessons that you had to go through. Mm. Well, my best piece of advice, I would say, is just to keep going. I know that there have been days when I just don't want to keep going and I, I, I it's it, it's challenging, but it, and even, you know, as thriving entrepreneurs, we know we have to keep going. Uh, we, we put something out into the world. It, it doesn't work. We try again. We keep going. So that would be my my parting wisdom is is really just keep going. And, and with that, I'll add keep going with support. 
listen to podcasts, read books. I mean, my book, I mean, it gives you so much wisdom and information and it's less than $20. So some resources are very affordable, find mentors, find coaches. So um, we don't have to go alone, but I would say keep going, but you don't have to go alone. I love that so much. Kate, thanks so much for spending some time with us here on the show today. Steve, I've loved the conversation. Thank you so much. So we have those candid conversations. We show people the things that have gotten us to where we are, the horrible things, the good, the bad, the ugly. And in those candid conversations, we're just simply doing what? That's right. We're sharing our experiences. Sometimes an experience serves as a way for us to learn. Often, they also serve as a way for other people to learn. Sometimes they're great learning experiences. Oh, I learned so much from that and I'm so much a better person because of it. And other times they're more like, uh, you know, cautionary tales. Oh yeah, I did that. And oh my gosh, what I learned from that, you don't want to ever have to go through and learn yourself, right? We've all been there on both of those angles and the experiences made the difference, right? Because experiences do make the difference. It's really important that we understand who we are, what we've been through, and then we share that with others. Our experiences are only as good as we share them. That cool thing that you went through, that new thing you learned, that horrible hardship that you went through, it becomes impactful and important when it's shared. We talked to you about some experiences that make the difference today. But what are the experiences that have made the difference in your life? I'd love for you to share them with us. You can always put hashtag thriving entrepreneur on any of your social medias along with the things you share. I look forward to seeing and hearing your experiences that make the difference. Because remember, you are uniquely brilliant. You were created for a purpose. And the world needs you. I'm so glad for the times that I get to spend with you for these each and every episode and the cool guests that I get to be able to bring into your world, the experiences that they've had that have made the difference in their lives. And hopefully that will make a little bit of a difference in your life as well. So that every day you can live and love and thrive in all that you do. I love that word thrive. It's so great. I really look forward for that for you. I can't wait to hear about the experiences that make the difference in your life as you live today as a thriving entrepreneur. Until we're together again next time, have a great week. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. If you want to get your question answered, send an email to questions at wehelpyouthrive.com. We look forward to you joining us again next time. My name is Steve Kidd. I am a third-generation minister, an international best-selling author of multiple books, and I help people write, publish, and market their books to bestseller. In fact, there are literally thousands of people that have used the system that I created to be able to write, publish, and market their books, and now they're best-selling authors, and you're next. I just wanted to come on for a minute, say hi to you, tell you a little bit about me, introduce myself and tell you 
I know the world is waiting on your message, and I would be so honored to be part of sharing your message with the world. Go to AskSteveKid.com and schedule a time to talk today.